Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. The thing that most struck me about today's guest, Lori, is her unusual ability to accept life as it is and yet take control of what she can, all at the same time. It was this ability, along with her grandparents' teaching, that allowed Lori to take over the cooking for her family at the age of 10, and she loved it. Like her family's classic beef barbecue recipe, I found Lori's words to be bold yet comforting and just exactly what I needed. Although cooking is without a doubt Lori's love language, I think this is the episode that will prove most helpful to listeners that don't love cooking. Either way, I believe Lori's memories and example will help all of us to choose joy. Good morning, Lori. Thank you so much for getting on the phone with me. My pleasure. Uh, it was kind of a thrill for me. I think um, I got an instant message from you. And uh, I think actually before I even published the first episode of the podcast. Yes. Yep. So you were the first person that really connected with what I wanted to do here. There was just something about the idea of a story recipe that connected with you. So what was that? I had kind of accidentally stumbled across your Instagram profile and your photography is spectacular. My kids say when I've made something that they like, phone eats first. (laughs) So I started following you on Instagram. You had posted on your Instagram story about this new podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, because food and making food and my memories of food, they are all so closely tied to my family. There was something just just something about it that for me inside was, oh, my gosh, somebody's doing something and talking about food in a way that really isn't about, hey, look at how look at how great my stuff is. Mm -hmm. And your message to me spoke. I want to know what others are doing and what food means to other people that I think that's what I'm stuck and I instantly had a recipe in mind because it, for me is mm. directly tied to the heritage of my family. The recipe is one that we share with people when they're hurt there. It's the recipe we make for people when they've had a baby. And mm. so I thought, what the heck? And clearly something on your end, either maybe you were excited just to have somebody see your story <laughs> and reach back out. I don't know. Well, I, I, I mean, it was clear that we were connecting on the mission, right? I mean, the mission, yes, yes. The mission was to celebrate exactly what you're saying, that food is a way to show care and love for other people. And it also connects us to our family. And so I wanted to hear everything I could hear about you know, your food and the bonds that it strengthens for you. So, so let's actually go, go in that direction. So Mm -hmm. you said, you said, this is the dish you send out. So tell people Mm -hmm. what the dish is. The dish that I, um, well, the recipe that I sent you was for a beef barbecue, um, recipe that has been in my maternal grandmother's family for some time. And it's not a, very complex recipe. I think you've made it and Mm -hmm. not a lot of ingredients. 
pretty Mm -hmm. simple, but there's something very comforting about it. It is a recipe that we've had at nearly every family function for all of my life. I cannot recall a family function or a holiday where this recipe either wasn't served or if it wasn't served, it was considered and maybe in more modern days, we try to get too fancy, but we generally come back to it. It's Mm -hmm. one that my kids request on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So tell me Mm -hmm. about the people that this dish connects you to. Yeah, it specifically connects me to my grandmother and grandfather, my mom's parents. Mm-hmm. Um, when I make this recipe, or if I'm even just now thinking about it, mm-hmm. I'm 10 years old, mm-hmm. standing in the kitchen of their old home, a beautiful home that's an enormous part of my past. But I'm standing in the kitchen and I can see my grandmother at the counter, you know, chopping the meat. I can see my grandfather at the stove browning, you know, the ingredients and I can smell it. I don't know for you, Becky, if I can smell everything taking place in that kitchen at that age. You are the second person Mm -hmm. who has said that when they have a memory, they immediately also smell like literally smell in their Mm -hmm. nostrils. Yes. That smell. And I actually do not experience that, which I find interesting. And I think it's probably very typical. I would like to think so, you know, because my grandparents are such a big part of this particular story for me. So they were both of German heritage. When I think about the smell, I can conjure up the smell of roasted lamb chops, Mm. heavily peppered. Like Mm. that is, that is in my brain. He (laughs) had um, an incredibly bold palate. He would Mm. eat anything. You know, they were born in the 1916, 1917. Okay. So they were old teenagers, young adults in the Great Depression. I think you ate anything. And, and I suspect over time, it developed a pretty bold palate. Mm-hmm. My mom is one of 11 kids. Um, you know, they did a lot of cooking <laughs> in their yeah. house. It was a very well, well-used kitchen. But I definitely have very, spe- very specific aroma when I think of either one of them. Mm. So obviously if the food was amazing, but you didn't have a close relationship with your grandparents, the connection would not be the same. So what is it Mm -hmm. about your grandparents that you remember with so much fondness? What did Mm -hmm. you admire so much about them? How did you, how did they make you feel? My mom and my sister and I lived with them for probably five months in 1979 when my parents were divorced. So Mm. I felt safe Mm. when I was with them. I felt Mm. happy. Mm -hmm. I felt comfortable. Um, But I think safety, Mm. they, you know, they took great care of my sister and I in the time that we lived there. And I think when I really try to zero in on the time frame that I learned the most from them about what kind of cook, I guess mm-hmm. chef is not the word, but what kind of cook <laughs> would be. I learned it in that time there, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I definitely felt safe and yeah. welcomed. And I felt the history of my family in that home. You know, I think they say that 
one of the most traumatic things that can happen to a child. And certainly one of the things that can create the most severe sense of insecurity is a divorce. And Mm -hmm. a second would probably be a move. And the (laughs) fact, the fact that you went through both and your grandparents were that safe place to land and that you walked away from that experience, not with negative memories, Mm -hmm. but actually with fond, happy, secure, safe Mm -hmm. memories is really an amazing testament to your grandparents. And and I would say, and my mother, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she made it a priority for my sister and I to have a safe place to be, to be welcomed, um, to have a roof over our head was um, a blessing. Mm -hmm. And having good food to eat. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Although, you know, I will say there were a few things I think they pulled from their German heritage that I would never (laughs) make today. One was a a lamb stew. And so I searched recipes for lamb stew because it's not in the recipe cards that I sent you. And my, my visual and my smell memories of that, they're not good. (laughs) <laughs> They're not good at all. Um, and I haven't been able to find a recipe that even comes close. So maybe lamb's stew was a, um, a fake term. Maybe it was something completely different, but they called it lamb's stew just yeah. to see Oh, right. It. Yes. My, um, my grandfather was pure German. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you a German... <laughs> something German I did not like, which was called uh, Lindberger cheese. Oh, yes. Oh, 100%. That was on the table at did their you, house. Did you eat it? No, no, thank you. No. <laughs> Lindberger no. cheese no. had the most sweaty sock. When my <laughs> oldest comes home from cross-country practice, that That's smell is basically associated with Lindberger cheese. And then he um, ate scrapple, which was all the parts yes. of the pig. But I don't oh, think yeah. that was so much a German thing as like you were saying, just a economic thing. Mm -hmm. Not much went to waste. No, at all. Yeah. Can you imagine? We're so incredibly fortunate. We are. And the excess, I actually think, you know, we were talking about food as a gift and how we don't savor it. Mm -hmm. I think it's because of the excess. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, my grandparents have not been around for a while. And I do wonder sometimes what they might think today. (laughs) After these five months that you lived with your grandparents, you and your mom and sister went on your own. Yes. Yes. We, we moved to a townhome that was in the school district that my mom had carefully researched where we would go to school Mm -hmm. in Cincinnati. And so she worked Full time. Mm-hmm. She worked in a um, business that required her to work some nights and weekends. So my sister and I, I was 10. She was 12 going on 13. We fell into roles in the home. Her role was to do the laundry. Mm-hmm. And my role was to cook. Mm. And, at, and At 10 years old. At 10. But mm-hmm. I loved it. I was probably no more than 11 or 12. Um, Chicken Parmesan was my kind of first big grown-up meal to make. Chicken Parmesan and homemade Caesar dressing. It was just natural. Mm. And we had to eat. And I liked Mm -hmm. to cook. And I liked to try new things. And I liked to provide 
food for my mom and my sister. It was Mm -hmm. a way, I think, subconsciously, a way for me even at that age to Mm -hmm. contribute and help and relieve my mom of some of the, the burden of caretaking, you know, when she had to work and provide for us in other ways. But I loved it. I'm so impressed with your mother. Some mothers could have felt um, guilt about that situation and courted the cooking. I feel like your mother empowered you. So I would just like to hear more about your mom. Anybody that knows her knows she is someone who would literally give you her last dime. When she had nothing and we had nothing for a long time, she would still give you that something. Mm. She is the fourth in her family of 11 children. And to this day still is for all of them is the go-to. She has taught me everything in life. She's also incredibly funny and she's (laughs) very resourceful. I had to go on a field trip for school and we were allowed to take a soft drink. So exciting. Oh my gosh, we get to bring a soft drink on the field trip. And she had worked very late the night before. And that morning I'm getting ready for school. Oh my gosh, mom, you didn't get my soft drink. And at the time you would wrap your soft drink in aluminum foil. That was was how you did it, right? Uh So her solution was, okay, well, we have this jar of popcorn. I will empty the jar of popcorn out and I'll put orange juice in it and I'll wrap it in aluminum foil and nobody will know the difference. Right, because it wasn't about you drinking the soft drink. It was about having what everybody else had. You know, the idea in the quick thinking and to... um, Come up with a solution that the empathy, yes. to not just say, I worked so late last night, Lori. The last thing I can worry about right now is a soft drink. She didn't say that. But it is very much it um, indicative her. of who she is. She, you know, I think not only empowered, but um, really expected us to mm-hmm. be able to contribute. And I and that's something I try to instill in my kids today. There is a. Um, a level of obligation that you have to help care for your family and take care of the people you love. And And they will learn like you learned that it's actually a joy. When you are providing others in some way, shape or form with through a gift that you have, it is a complete joy. And it's not always cooking, right? Because your sister and she did the laundry though. Right. Yes. I had clean clothes. I never, and, and, and Becky to this day, we still, we are still in those roles. And as an adult, I can say with total confidence that food is my love language. It's about finding the things that make other people happy Mm -hmm. and what brings other people joy Mm -hmm. through food. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really where I try to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So even as a little kid, what were the things that my mom and my sister and me or people that would come over family, what brought them joy? Always the barbecue. (laughs) Always the barbecue. So I'm curious about, there's the actual cooking, right? And then there's Mm -hmm. everything that goes around that. So a big part 
of cooking for a family is planning meals and shopping. So how did that break down when you were 10 years old? And really, too, what you would find in a grocery store. This would be the late 1979, I would say through the mid 80s. What was available at the grocery store is much different than today. The, so give me, you know, give me some examples. One big difference, I think, would be the volume of choices. I remember just using the chicken parmesan as an example, buying a brand of marinara sauce that was not your typical national brands and mm. thinking, man, this is, I'm doing something really special here. <laughs> so <this> exotic. <laughs> it's so exotic. That's a great word to use. And I've always been a big purveyor of kind of the, the simplest most basic form of something so that I could make it my own. I, mm. At times I like to equate it to maybe being a contestant on, on the voice or American idol or something where you're singing someone else's song. Ah. How can you make that song be your song? And it also speaks to how simple food can, and it many times should be. Yes. It's not about being so elaborate and having 800 ingredients and you don't need all of that. You know, I, something. Yeah. I, I, I really, really agree with that. And I, the best cook I know hands down is my mom and mm -hmm. she, she fed a family of five on a hundred dollars a week. And mm -hmm. so, you know, she cut up two chickens every week because she was going to use every part of the chicken and she just flavored things well. She seasoned things well and she mm -hmm. knew the enough of the science of cooking mm -hmm. that everything she made turned out just right. That's such a great point. I, I think back to the time in my grandparents' house and everything was, was simple, but mm -hmm. my grandfather taught me at a young age, you have to taste what you're making. Mm -hmm. You have to taste it, keep working on it, taste it again, but keep it simple. I do think we kind of put the cart before the horse. So we come up with this amazing flavor combination, but we, in my generation, lack some of the basic know-how right. of the skills mm -hmm. taken to make a recipe succeed. So we come up with more and more expensive Mm -hmm. flavors. I mean, listen, anything with goat cheese is going to be amazing, right? <laughs> or How bacon or not. One or, the, you know, one or the other. Goat cheese and bacon. Exactly. But they don't necessarily make you a good cook. No, they don't. And I suspect for me, those were things I picked up as a very young kid in my grandparents' kitchen, watching my mom just, and well, this need to be fancy and, and trendy and all that. It just, if you don't know how to do the basic things, you're never going to be able to explore from there. At least a section of my audience has said to me that they definitely love the story aspect of this and they kind of wish that they liked cooking. I think it's so intimidating to so yes. many people of my generation because they, they or we, um, People don't know where to start. And so they just Great avoid point. cooking and it gets, I, I mean, you don't, you don't get better at it, not doing it. You know sure. I mean? When I started posting a little more actively over the last few months on Instagram, she called me in, in a way that only a sister can, which is out of love. She said, Lori, I, what you're posting, I, I find it, um, kind of demoralizing. 
<laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, I can't do that. Yeah. And then I feel bad about myself because I'm not doing that. And you're not giving me the resources that maybe is some for someone who that's not where I find joy and it's not my happy place. And she speaks for a lot of people. And I do think people like you and me have a responsibility to give people who don't like to cook permission to not like to cook and gratitude for what they are amazing at, like your sister doing the laundry for you for all those years. But for right now, how would you advise that someone should start if they just want to learn some things so that they can find a little more ease in cooking? That is a great question. Um, my advice, one, having a really good kitchen knife. So a really good kitchen knife and a way to sharpen it. It will make all the, the simple, basic tasks of cooking a meal for your family be that much easier. The very mm -hmm. first season of MasterChef, and I actually applied to be on that show. Really? I did, but then I chickened out. Uh, Becky, the beef barbecue would have been what I would have made. The way that they pared down was how quickly could they uniformly chop, dice, an onion in the shortest amount of time. If you're a new cook, train yourself, teach yourself, watch the videos on how to chop and dice something. You can do that. Everything you make from that point forward, if you can read and follow a recipe, you can cook. Mm, do you know my mother said that all the time when I was a kid? It's true. If you can read, you can cook. Yes, but mm -hmm. it starts, let's say that food prep um, chopping produce and prepping your ingredients is the do re mi of cooking. Mm -hmm. I, I admire your mother in the use of whole chickens. A very big philosophy for me is it really starts with good ingredients, including whatever protein you're trying to use. So I've been mm -hmm. proponent for all of the years of my life where I've had to be the one buying the food. So this would be after I graduated from college. And oddly enough, I lived across the street when I got out of college from the local butcher shop where my grandparents shopped wow. their whole lives. So it just it just kind of happened that way. So so even when I got out of college, my ground beef came from Myros. Mm. And I think you can make anything be spectacular if your protein or your ingredients are high quality and particularly for me, locally curated. And I like to start with whole cuts, whole chickens, whole roasts. Mm. I find that amazing that a lot of people, and I am definitely included in here, we will sacrifice maybe what we know is best in terms of quality mm -hmm. um, and in terms of supporting local Business, business and in mm -hmm. terms of considering ethical treatment of animals. Right. But you were always willing, even when you graduated from college, to limit yourself and what you could make. And you stayed within your budget mm -hmm. to get these quality products. I mean, you really, truly put your money where your mouth was. Yeah, I do. And for me, it's about the quality first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to make a cut somewhere else. So financially, if mm -hmm. need be, to have 
a product from people who I trust. I know where that product came from. They know what I like. And I just, I also love chatting with the people. Mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. you know, it's a lost thing today. Absolutely. I think you literally said the dish would be <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> I, I probably I, did. I, I might have I, to reference my note to you, but I, yeah. I would never make my grandmother's beef barbecue with, if I couldn't get locally curated butcher shop chuck roast for the recipe, it would not get made. Yeah. It, well, it I just won't. Yeah. So in terms of the small town feel, I went to a um, little shop not far um, down the street from me. It's called Borman's. And um, they actually have letters like from kids in the community taped <sighs> to the window of their um, meat display. And <laughs> there was this letter from, I don't know, judging from the handwriting definitely younger than fourth grade. Um, I don't remember if it was a little boy or girl. And they said, thank you so much for buying my pig from me. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is a kid who is so aware. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was to my shame that this kid was so aware (sighs) of where their food was coming from, that they had actually raised their food, you know, sold it, to this butcher shop. You got to think about Charlotte's web, (laughs) (laughs) right? Well, providing for people in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I also wanted to ask, um, who taught you how were you, were you 10 years old cutting up a chicken? Oh, I, I would, I did it all. You um, did. How did you learn? Except for the dishes. Uh, ah. not there. <laughs> if we called my mom in onto this podcast, Becky, she would say, no, they always left their dishes. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I just have kind of an adventurous spirit about food. For those that are familiar with the old, the old girls, like bluebird brownie, but to, you know, today's Girl Scout, um, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the cooking badge, I think pretty much was the only badge I ever earned. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think I ever had a brownie or a Girl Scout or a Bluebird sash that had anything beyond the cooking. Well, and so that probably says a little bit about where my passion and my interests absolutely. were. Absolutely. Oh. You know, I don't think I remember like this moment where it turned on. It just has been, yeah. it's, it's who I am. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't know how to, I don't mm-hmm. have butchery skills. Again, that's something that somehow kind of got lost between my mom and me. Yeah. Start, this by, point, this start by the like spatchcocking a, mm-hmm. a chicken. It's super simple and it's delicious. Okay. That's good advice. There's I will. Recommendation to it. And it's delicious. You, you know, so I just want to go back again to this idea of when you were 10 and 11 and 12 and cooking for your family and Mm -hmm. the menu. So did your mom kind of just go to the grocery store and just buy ingredients? And then every night you would kind of figure out what to make Mm -hmm. from those? Or would you say, okay, this is what we're going to have this week? I feel like really what we did was we had recipes that we knew worked. My mom really was the one who would bring new ideas to the table. And we'd give them a try and you, you would would give them a try. Yes. I would give them a try. Uh And then, um, you know, we'd add it to, we'd add it to the repertoire. All right. Let's talk tips and tricks for the barbecue recipe. 
I made it Monday and we went to, well, so my older boys and I went to my niece's field hockey game. She was in a playoff field hockey game. Shout out to Hannah, our little star. And it was really chilly up there in the stands and just a beautiful fall evening. And we were so hungry and we came home and my husband and the little two had waited for us. And like the smell that when I walked in, (laughs) it was that kind of spicy, tangy, meaty smell. Oh, it was amazing. And the dinner was so good. So thank you for the recipe. I have used it. We'll definitely use it again. But I want to ask a couple of questions. So first of all, um, do you, I've done it both ways in different recipes. Do you dice your onions or do you cut them in rings? I dice them. Mm -hmm. I, uh, and that's how my grandmother, who was really the one that made this recipe, that's how she did it. She diced it. And I know you had asked me about the volume of onions Mm -hmm. and Let's just tell the listeners. So there's three onions in there for people that come into possession of old family recipes. Mm -hmm. You have to take that recipe and put it into the context of what was happening in the grocery stores or in your own garden Mm -hmm. with particularly produce items. Mm -hmm. So the onions at the time would have probably come from a garden. And Mm -hmm. so they would have been much smaller. Part of my part of my technique here is I always try to always make it in advance so that we can have this conversation. Yes. On first of all, I've never made a recipe right the first time, so I think it's good for just people to hear that. I just right. think that's an it's important... like it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's so for me, I actually did use all the onions, and I was very skeptical. Of, mm-hmm. But to be honest, it was not problematic because yeah. um, now I cooked it a little longer. You know, a recipe like that is better to go a little longer than a little shorter. Yes. yes. And honestly both the onions and the celery, which I want to ask you about in a minute. They kind of disappear. They completely just disappeared into Mm -hmm. this amazing sauce Mm -hmm. there. And it did not taste oniony. No, it wasn't pungent. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they probably caramelized in there. And so it added sweetness, you know, knowing there was going to be three, I did choose three of the smaller ones at my pantry, but okay. It wasn't, it wasn't actually a problem. Um, but I did wonder if it was supposed to have this look of like the the beautiful glazed round, you know, ring shaped yeah, onions on yeah. top. Because you, this recipe for anybody that that chooses to make it, ultimately gets kind of mashed up. Yes, I don't. I and I use a potato masher, or I use you know something like that. I don't just um, shred the meat with a fork. You want to to your point, be, longer is better. And you want this to become really where you don't see the the produce in it, the celery or the onions. Um, The most glorious thing ever to me is is caramelized onions. So (laughs) I, I probably do have a heavier hand with onions. But also, I mean, that's just a bigger volume that you yes. can scoop out of your pot, which I'm always interested in more volume for the same amount of work. I have rarely made that recipe where I only make a single recipe. Mm. And the only thing you have to pay attention to is the liquid. So again, I think like with produce and if you're using old recipes, this recipe also would have been created and cooked in a really old timey stove. And that, um, you know, my grandparents had the old gas stove. So in the 
sense that you think it would have been a little hotter or like, or it would have, I think it would have been hotter. Yes. Okay. In their small, you know, gas stoves, it would have been hotter. You, you just kind of have to watch the, the water content of this. Mm -hmm. You don't want to add water to it unless you have to. Mm, okay. And I do, and I and I can't remember, Becky, if the instructions in the recipe I gave you called for draining the fat off the meat. Mm-mm, and I didn't. I, yeah, <laughs> I, love, I, I love fat, I, I so don't. I'm a little odd on yeah, that. Yeah, I don't. Oh. I do not. Yeah. I no, do and, not no. no, and like I said, we had some leftovers, and honestly, and I think part of this comes back to being high quality meat, right? Um, <laughs> right. The next, the next day. I mean, there was a little bit of fat on the top, but honestly, we just put it back in the pan and heated it heated back up. There's certainly, yeah. yeah, there was not enough that you had to scrape it off scrape or anything off. like that. Yeah, Mm-mm. yeah, Mm-mm. no, it's um, definitely one that um, there's a lot of, I think like a lot of recipes, there's a, a level of personalization to it. Like so many things, there's really, it's hard to make a mistake. Well, yeah, something yeah. like it doesn't no. have to look pretty. What it is? <laughs> that was know? the only thing I thought when you sent me the recipe. I thought, oh, this is. How am I? How am I gonna? How am I gonna style this? <laughs> this is gonna really challenge me. So I had actually never seen celery in a barbecue recipe before. Do you think huh. it's unusual? So because it's the only barbecue recipe that I will make, it's not okay. unusual at all. Hundred percent of the barbecues I make have celery. <laughs> It's an interesting, I completely agree with you. This is a recipe. There's no, like, no whole tomatoes. There's no, and even the seasoning in it, it's pretty simple. It's it's a Um, very basic recipe. Becky, I don't even know, and I wish I could ask her the question, but she's not with us anymore. But, you know, I don't know if it's something where when that recipe was created by whomever in their family, they just loved celery. So it was added in. Um, but anybody that works with, you know, the Trinity, if you, mm-hmm. it's kind of a staple. It is. And um, again, there was no recognizable no. celery I, flavor. I have friends that are celery haters and I can pretty much guarantee you if I put this on their plate, they wouldn't even know it was there. No, I truly do not think so. So again, it's just something else that, I mean, the nutrient value is not going anywhere, right? You're cooking it with a lid on. So none of the nutrient value is going away. I'm not going to say we're going to get healthy off of beef barbecue. We are not getting healthy at all off of beef barbecue. No, but at the same time, why not put a few more, you know, Mm -hmm. why not put in a cup of celery, have it cooked down, extend the volume and get a little bit of nutrient in there. And I do think it adds to the, um, I guess, like just the earthiness, the well-rounded flavor. Yeah. To it. Right. You could probably, if you really, if you wanted to round out, um, the produce, you could probably finely chop or even, you know, kind of grate up carrot Oh, and put it in there. If you were trying to add just a hair more, but in my family, we serve it with fresh coleslaw and I'll put some extra vegetables like that in there. I don't, um, I try to be a healthy cook, but boy, this is one of those recipes that for me, it's about being healthy in my soul, yeah. not in my <laughs> hips. Um, okay. So talk to me about the browning. My suspicion was, okay, there is a, a baseline of knowledge and techniques that was being <laughs> assumed in this recipe. Yeah. And I, but I said, I'm going to do exactly what's written and what's written. It says, cook 
the brown, cook the onions and the meat. And so I put it all in there. And of course the meat's not going to brown. <laughs> no, it's not right. In batches. You do batches. batches. Yeah. yeah. So I season everything before I cook it. I will season just salt and pepper, nothing fancy, um, salt and pepper, the beef. I will cook it in batches and I will also put the onions in, in batches. Yeah. So scoop it out, put it in the bowl, add your next layer. Um, as with any kind of meat browning, if it's too crowded, you're just, you're not going to get any kind of right. crust. Once you have at least just that outer kind of sear on your meat, throw it all back in the pot. You okay. throw all the ingredients at one time. I think this is a, other than that part of it, this would be maybe a slow cooker's um, dream recipe. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You, know, mm -hmm. you just, I, I mean, I think it's all the same, really. Once you it is. have the lid on it, then you're just, yeah, it's cooking in its own moisture either way. Yes, right. The other interesting part about this, and I, I'd have to go back and do some research on um, when the product was actually invented, because I don't know for sure if it was a specific product that my grandmother chose to bring to the recipe, or if the product has been around long enough that mm -hmm. her mother would have done it. But the recipe as written calls for Brooks ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, I have made it with just, you know, basic Heinz ketchup and it doesn't even come close rich and tangy. I think that even is on the label. It is. Yeah. Um, I got it on Amazon. I think at your suggestion. Yes. But okay. if, if you're in a pinch, so a good substitute for the Brooks ketchup is half regular ketchup and half chili sauce. Okay. And because chili sauce has that kind of sweet and spicy yes. tone and uh -huh. it has a little bit of that tangy. If I have to go that route, I might add a little bit more of the cider vinegar. Um, okay. I knew I was going to get it for the final product, but I will admit I didn't have it on Monday, but I, I did half ketchup, just Heinz, and I did half sweet baby Ray's barbecue sauce. Oh, that's um, a great substitute. Something it was good. that has that spicy, tangy. I think the thing you get from the chili sauce is there's just maybe a little bit of undertone of spice. And But you had asked me, what do I serve with the meat? Uh, we would have it with homemade coleslaw with grandma's really simple slaw um, dressing recipe, which I think is on one of the cards I sent you and, um, cheese potatoes that that's the meal. It's such it a solves, classic for a reason. It solves all the world's problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it does. It does. Well, a guest on actually the podcast that I just released today mm -hmm. brought up this term that really resonated with the joy and labor of cooking. Sometimes if we're realistic, cooking is a labor. So yeah. how do you keep the joy of cooking? That is, that's a great observation. Um, and I don't always feel mm -hmm. that way. <clears throat> I would say even for me, Becky, recently with some health issues that, that are happening within my family, I suspect I have been feeling the labor more than the joy um, I've had to make a shift in the type of food that I prepare in my house for, you know, very specific health reasons. And it has really forced me to evaluate, um, when I'm feeling joyful and when I'm feeling like it's a burden. So to maintain the joy, I go back to, 
I have a gift and it is something that, that the people that I love, love about me. Mm-hmm. It is the base of a relationship that I have with my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I think being a mom and a parent, you can focus on the labor of everything. So it's, it for me, I choose to find joy. It's why mm. I set my Thanksgiving theme as the joy of Thanksgiving. It's mm. so I, I host Thanksgiving um, uh-huh. this year. I texted, so the kids are older, all my nieces and nephews are older. And I texted them a few weeks back and I said, so this year, my theme for Thanksgiving, which is really kind of my theme in life right now, is joy. It's finding Mm -hmm. joy in the small things. Um, My husband has um, been dealing with issues relating to his vision that really you know, when you go through a health crisis, it brings different perspective. So right now, for me, it's all about finding joy. So I said to my nieces and nephews, the theme for Thanksgiving this year is just it's the joy of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So for you, what is the the food item that brings you joy? Mm-hmm. And those are the things I want on the table. If the things that bring you joy are all the traditional items of Thanksgiving, then that's what we'll have. Mm -hmm. If the thing that brings you joy through food is um, pepperoni pizza, we're going to have it. (laughs) Um, I won't tell you that my youngest son said twist, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) that is not going to be on the the Thanksgiving table. So I I think it's just focusing more on the the thing that's joyful than the thing that's the labor and accepting that those generally come hand in hand. Yes. Thank you so much for that perspective. Mm -hmm. No problem. All right. Well, here's my bonus question and you can feel free to say no. I was wondering if I could also try and share your grandmother's fudge recipe. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. And then I was thinking maybe what we could do is like a 20 minute bonus episode. Like, I feel like it needs to be its own little package (laughs) wrapped up with a bell. I was her jam boy. There was always fudge in the Butler pantry. Okay. So yeah, what I think we'll do then is I'm going to try to make it. I really don't think I will be successful because I'm I'm not usually not. Okay. I, I'm usually not. So you know what? You have the recipe card. I do. I, I know. So I don't have it. Send me a well, picture of it well, and I'm yeah. going to make it. Okay. <laughs> then we'll both make it and then we'll just set up another time. We'll just do a little bonus episode. We'll learn together and that will be great for our listeners to yeah, hear if we right? do mess up. So oh, that's a great idea. I love it. All right. Well, thank you for your time today. Oh my um, gosh, thank you so much. Of course. Didn't you just love Lori? Her family's beef barbecue recipe is on the blog, and it's certainly become a favorite here in this household. We are still working on a bonus episode. I'm hoping that when the episode is released, our multiple tries and subsequent discussions will become yet another way to normalize failure and constant learning as just part of cooking. On my website, you can also find weekly episodes released every Wednesday, or you can subscribe via your favorite player. You can join the storied recipe community by following me over on Instagram and tagging any of these recipes with hashtag storied recipe. My guests love to see their cherished recipes enjoyed by others. Finally, please know that I truly believe everyone has a story to share and I would love to hear and photograph yours. Please reach out. And in the meantime, have a great week, my friends.